0: Naaman's servants approached him and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. No one, no one has ever looked at my resume and gone, oh. (laughs) And while I can't be sure why that is, I think it has to do with two specifically unimpressive lines on there. First there's the one that says, Bachelor of Arts, the University of Arizona. And then there's the one that says, Major, Communications. (laughs) I know, believe me, I know, Uh, there's even a moment in a Simpsons episode where they make fun of Communications majors. A doctor is trying to comfort an injured football player by reminding him that he can always fall back on his major in, good lord, Communications and the player weeping admits that it's a phony major. It's funny, there was a little workshop that I attended as I approached graduation at Arizona that was specifically designed to help us prepare our resumes for the job market. And they never once told us to go back and get a more impressive degree from a more impressive school. Although I'll tell you, I actually find it kind of a blessing that impressive was out of my reach from the very beginning. Because I'm wired just like everyone else. I desperately want to be impressive, but I can, in a sense, give up on that quest. It's a relief, really. No matter what I do, no matter the weight of my other accomplishments, I will always have those two lines on my resume, shining a bright light on how deeply average I am. The University of Arizona, communications major. But there are people for whom extraordinary is a crucial self-identification. And it can become an unbearable weight, threatening even to ruin their lives. And Naaman, the Syrian general, was one of these. Though a successful warrior, Naaman has a problem. He has leprosy. But in a stroke of luck, though he's from Damascus, His army has recently captured a slave girl from Samaria, and she says that she knows of a prophet who can heal him. So Naaman sets off on this long journey from Damascus to Syria. But he doesn't just go, does he? He has to get all geared up first. He has to, in a manner of speaking, prepare his resume. He gets a letter from his king to the Samaritan king, my, my, look at what connections he has. And he outfits his caravan. He wants to make sure that everyone knows, especially this prophet that he's going to eventually meet, that he is no average man. He's loaded down with ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten sets of garments. You should know... That if we were to convert these to modern measurements, that's 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. It is in no way an average amount of money. Naaman has created a traveling announcement of his extraordinary status. Successful military man, friend of kings, and head of a rich and powerful household. This is a great Resume. Eventually, Naaman gets to Samaria. And after meeting the king, Elisha the prophet hears of his condition. And that's when the story starts to get interesting. Naaman comes with his horses and chariots in all his extraordinariness to Elisha's house. But the prophet does not even deign to come to the door. Elisha sends a messenger out to him. Saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. And Naaman is furious. He's been disrespected. I thought that for me, he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Do you hear it? I'm Syrian. I'm a general. I'm rich. I'm special. I thought I was extraordinary. And so Naaman, incensed, starts to go off in a huff. Scripture calls it a rage. He's really angry. That his extraordinariness isn't being acknowledged. So angry, in fact, that he's willing to leave without his healing. He's going to go home, still a leper. But his servants say, wait a minute. If the prophet had asked you to do something hard or charged you a bunch of money, wouldn't you have done it? Wouldn't you have paid it? So why aren't you going to do it when he only asked you to do something easy and free? So Naaman relents, does the easy thing, and is made clean. So what's going on here? What does Naaman's story teach us about ourselves? And more importantly, what does it teach us about God and the way he works? Is there any good news for us in this story of a proud leprous general who is eventually healed almost despite himself. Well, yes, and I've got three things for you this morning. Three things that we can learn from this story. First, we learn that everyone, ordinary and extraordinary alike, needs healing. Second, we learn that everyone desperately wants to earn whatever they get. And finally, we get good news the gift that leads to healing, indeed the gift that gives us eternal life, comes completely for free. Shortly after I graduated from college, I was invited to attend a party that included a bunch of Harvard graduates. It was a post-rehearsal dinner party for a friend of a friend who had gone to Harvard, and a bunch of his college friends were in town for the wedding. I remember being very intimidated walking up the walk to this house in which the party was happening. Remember, University of Arizona, communications major, (laughs) but then an amazing thing happened. It turned out that these were all normal people. I mean, yes, they were smart and many of them were smarter than me, but they weren't in any fundamental way extraordinary. And that's the first thing that we learn from this story about Naaman and Elisha. Something that Elisha is wise to show the proud military man. Though Naaman has all the trappings of importance, he's the Harvard graduate of his time, he is completely normal in one profound way. He's sick, and there's nothing he can do about it. He's needy. He has leprosy and needs to be healed. In his need for healing, Naaman the general, just like that house full of Harvard graduates, is just like me and just like you. That's why Elisha refuses to acknowledge Naaman's specialness, even going so far as to send a servant to him with the healing instructions. You're not so special, Naaman, and it's important that you learn that. You're just like everyone else. We all need to be healed. So that's our first point, the first thing to learn from Naaman. Everyone needs healing. We're all sick, and there's nothing we can do about it. St. Paul writes that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, man, woman, everyone. We are united in our need. And the second thing we're going to learn from Naaman's story is just as universal. Everyone wants to earn what they get. Naaman comes to Elisha with all that money expecting to purchase his healing. Or at least to earn it just by his sheer importance. He certainly wants to be able to do something. You can imagine it, right? How much more satisfying would it have been for Naaman to go back to Damascus and tell his friends, you'll never believe what I had to do for this healing. I had to travel over mountains and rivers. I had to pay 10 years wages. I had to find and visit a shaman sitting in a hidden cave to get my healing. Honestly, I'm not sure you could do it. And you certainly can't afford it. And yes, I'm sure Naaman would have embellished just like that if his servants hadn't been there as witnesses. And so when Elisha sends a servant out and tells him to go jump in the river, of course he's angry. Elisha is ruining his whole story, ruining his chances to accomplish something, ruining his ability To participate. There's a good parallel here to the miracle of Christian salvation. I think it was my friend Steve Brown who said that if you want to make someone angry, give them a long list of things they need to do to be saved. But if you want to make someone really angry, tell them that there's nothing they can do to be saved. St. Paul reminds the Ephesians, That it was by grace they had been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, he clarified. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Naaman wants to boast. We all want to boast. Remember how I said that no one has ever looked at my resume and gone, ooh? Well, that was a lament. I said I was okay with it, but not really. I desperately want people to be impressed. And I want that to go all the way to the top. When I get to the pearly gates, I want St. Peter to open up the book of life, scroll down to my name, and then go, oh. (laughs) But that desire in me and in you must be killed. We must hear the truth. The truth that Elisha proclaimed to Naaman. You're not so special. You're just like everyone else, desperately sick, in need of salvation. We need to see reality that, as Martin Luther put it, the only things we contribute to our salvation are sin and resistance. Thankfully, mercifully, that acknowledgement of reality is one thing that the law of God is specifically given to accomplish. By works of the law, St. Paul writes in the Romans, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's our first point, remember? Everyone needs healing. The law is what shows us that need. It shows us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have the University of Arizona on our spiritual resumes. (laughs) There is none righteous, Paul argues, not one. Paul is tearing down any Naaman-like pretension we might have. And then in Galatians, he writes, If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law. If we could build up a resume to get us to God, to earn our healing, then Jesus died for no reason. But the truth is that we cannot build up such a resume. Naaman had a great resume and still desperately needed to be healed. He was literally falling apart. St. Paul himself had such a resume. He described it to the Philippians circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But he counted it all as loss because of Christ. Indeed, Paul admitted, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So now the third thing that we learn from Naaman's story, and this is the good news that Naaman had to be reminded of by his servants. It is also good news for us today. It is why we are gathered here to be reminded of this good news, the good news for sick and desperate sinners. The healing that lasts, the redemption that cannot be earned, is given for free. New life is yours for free. As Naaman is stomping off, ready to go home, a leper, his servants run up beside him. Master, If the prophet had asked you to do something difficult or made you pay all that money, wouldn't you have done it? How much more should you do it now that you've only been told to do something easy? Now, I'm not going to lie. Having Harvard on your resume instead of Arizona is an advantage. It can get you stuff. Job prospects, a leg up, even some oohs and ahs. And having anything other than communications major will probably get you ahead in this life. But as Naaman discovered, the law of Almighty God is no respecter of resumes. In the face of His holiness and power, we are all rendered equal and equally needy. There's a simple illustration of this we all die. Naaman's power and riches did not protect him from leprosy. Harvard graduates, Arizona graduates, and Syrian generals are all just people, broken sinners, in the hands of a righteous God. But but this righteous God has decided to save sinners, and he's decided to make it easy. This is the gospel, the good news for us today, for you, that the heavy price for that salvation, far richer than 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments, the heavy price for that salvation was the very life of Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God. And it's been paid in full by God in Christ. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you need to do. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Elvina Mabel Hall wrote those words in 1865. And though she might have been thinking about Jesus' cleansing of a leper in the New Testament, her words are perfectly appropriate to Naaman too. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can heal the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus has paid it all. There is nothing you can do. But don't get mad. Don't stomp away. Don't leave without your healing. This is not a judgment. This is good news. In Christ, it has all already been done. So celebrate with us. Come and feast at the table we've set. Only redeemed sinners are welcome. Your resume isn't any good here. You are one with us in your sickness and need. And one with us in the new life purchased in full by Jesus Christ, your Savior. In him, your crimson stains have been washed white as snow. Amen. Amen.